0: Take your Bible and go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. And when you find your place there in the book of Hebrews, if you can, once you stand, we'll read some of chapter 12 this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll begin reading here in verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son... Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are ye bastards, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they fairly for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Well, it's New Year's Eve, just right at the precipice where this year is history. I'm glad you decided to spend the day in the church house, amen. Brother Bob, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? thank you for all you've done for each and every one of us here and made the new year for much more joy and gladness to us all amen thank you father for everything amen amen thank you. you may be seated so here we are it's 1 2 3 1 2 3, 12 31 23 if there's something left on your bucket list for the year your time is just about up and uh, if you don't do it soon. Well, <laughs> you have to put on next year's bucket list, I guess. So what in the world do you preach uh, on the eve of new of a new year? Well, Paul said in Second Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Amen. Uh, so we're going to preach the word this morning. And there's a lot of different directions we could go, but I want to preach something very simple. And uh, hopefully, uh, it's been my desire as a preacher to be a simple preacher. And uh, hopefully that... Uh, that shows up over the years. But nonetheless, uh, I want to preach something very simple, and here it is. Hang on to your hats. We need to go back to basics in this coming year. And a new year to me is like the start of a school year. And uh, if you consider it, we're in His class. We're in His class. Jesus Christ is the head teacher. Amen. He is the master teacher. He's the Dean of Student Affairs, amen. And uh, if one thing I know about the Lord, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, the Bible says, Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn of me. He wants us to learn about him. He sure does. So I believe why many Christians struggle and why many times we will fail in the Christian life. It's uh, not because we're inherently wicked, even though we are. It's not because you're just so full of the devil that it's coming out your ears, although maybe some days you would be like that. But I believe many Christians fail and struggle in the Christian life because they're trying to learn the back part, if I could say it like this, of the spiritual alphabet, when many of them haven't even learned their ABCs. I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel stupid this morning. Uh, I think sometimes we have this expectation that we need to be further along than we should be. The Lord is a very simple God, and that's not to demean the Savior. Uh, one preacher said it like this, if, uh, if you can't understand it, there's got to be a buck in it somewhere. <laughs> Amen. And uh, you read through the New Testament and you hear about the simplicity of salvation. It's very simple to be saved. It's men and religion that complicate everything. And I believe this year the Lord wants us to learn. And that's why he gave us a church building. He didn't give us a church building so he could appear on the top 50 churches in Isco County. <laughs> if, that's, if there's even 50 churches. I think there's about 48 actually, <laughs> if you look that thing up. It's uh, not so we could have a, have a name and have a ranking and have a, a tax ID number. But the Lord gave us a church building so we could learn. He gave us a building so we could gather together without fear of someone busting in the door. Amen? And he gave us that so we could do something with it. And uh, now I've known some Christians, if they attended school like they did church, (laughs) they wouldn't still be graduated high school after 70 years. But that's not what we're going to preach about this morning. I just want to preach about getting back to basics getting back to basics. I'd like to preach right through the text of what we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. And I believe if we're going to get back to basics, what it looks like, it's like the beginning of a new school year. I tried to put my thinking cap on. I remember back when, when I was younger, getting ready for school and uh, the exciting things about going to school. I know I lost you all there when I said going to school. Unless you're a teacher, then you're like, oh yay! <laughs> but uh, you know, you go school shopping, right? And uh, remember, I remember as a kid, the the smell of paper, the smell of pencils and erasers. It's like, oh, we're going back to school. And then you get back and you get your first homework assignment. You're like, I'm over it already, right? Amen. <laughs> and I remember uh, going to school, and sometimes you get school clothes, right? School sho- clothes shopping, amen. And uh, when I was a kid, uh, we had Kmart. We didn't have Walmart, amen? And we go to Kmart, and uh, they had a brand of sneakers. They're called T956ers. And T956ers, they were a cool-looking shoe, but they were glued on. So if you stepped on the back, you just ripped the sole right off, amen? Glue it back on and go another mile or three, amen? But uh, I want to preach just a little bit about back to basics this morning. What I see from our chapter this morning... If we're going to get back to basics this year and not complicate things, because that's what we like to do, amen? People like to complicate Christianity. Uh, People like to complicate it and say, well, it's too hard and I can't live it and I can't do it, so I'm just going to check out. But that's not how God intended it. God did intend you to take the rest of your life to serve Him and please Him. But He didn't intend it to be so difficult that you couldn't do it. Didn't He say it was your reasonable service. I mean, you and I have a reasonable God. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, He tells His own people, come let us reason together. So I believe the Lord wants us to reason together this morning and just get back to basics. I I don't preach this because I think we're off in left field somewhere. I believe we're preaching what God wants us to preach. But to put it you in a very simple fashion, we just need to go back to basics this year and just get a hold of the one who died for us. Amen? And here in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, okay, I see a couple things. With this idea of a classroom setting, I see this. I see an environment to maintain in verse 1. An environment to maintain. Before we talk about this environment, you remember Proverbs chapter 6, 23? No, you don't. Anyways, I'll just tell you. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, Proverbs, uh, Solomon says, The reproofs of instructions are the way of life. You know what that tells me? I'm going to be in school my entire life. And some of you were really good students. <laughs> we don't like you. No, just kidding. <laughs> and some of you were terrible students. And some of you were very, very gifted. You just, as, as the par- my parents would say, you just didn't apply yourself. And you just kind of skated through and you got B's and the C's. And you never took a book home. I mean, you I have books to take home now in school. That's another message for another day. But uh, uh, this classroom setting, it's just its reproofs of instructions are the way of life. And life is like school. And serving the Lord is like a classroom. And we need to get back to basics. And the first thing I see here is just, uh, I see an environment to maintain. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I see the right environment here. The right environment is one that stays surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Notice, so uh, we're not looking constantly at this environment, but this environment of witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses, surrounds us. Amen. It's like what? What's that? Hebrews chapter eleven. That's that's uh, Enoch. Amen. That's Abel. That's Noah. That's all the patriarchs. That's the right environment. The environment that puts you in front of the scriptures constantly. That's the right type of an environment that we need to maintain to get back to basics. You ever stop and think about the environment that we trudge through on a daily basis? It's not always the right environment. Look, I know you can't spend every day in church, and you can't spend every moment of your day in the Bible, but you should do the most that you can with what you got. Why not? You have given your life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Has He not saved your soul? Why would you not want to spend the most of your time getting to know Him better? getting to uh, learning of Him, amen, and seeking out those things. So I see here there's a right environment this year that you're going to have to maintain, and that right environment is one that stays surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. You say, what is that? Well, that's kind of like making sure that you're surrounded by preaching. Old preacher said this, if you want to make sure this year that you stay right with God, you need to constantly expose yourself to sin-kicking, devil-hating, Bible-believing, preaching. That's the right environment. The wrong environment is backing away from it. You know, well, I just don't think it's that important. Okay, well, that's what the world thinks, and you can't let yourself think what the world thinks. You're going to have to evaluate your environment. You're going to have to evaluate your environment, and you're going to have to try to do your best to keep the right environment. And there you see in that environment that great cloud of witnesses. And not only that, but in that environment, if they can do it, you can do it. I remember going to school and, you know, uh, I went to the O.G. Mall Heights there and they got all the the pictures on the wall there of who graduated. And so you come in there as like a freshman, you see everyone's picture like, oh, they graduated. Oh, he graduated, I can graduate. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. So there's that cloud of witnesses that have been there and they've lived by faith. And you know what? you got to keep the right environment. you got to keep the people around you that will help you live for God. You got to keep that right environment this year. Not only that, but notice, I also see the wrong environment in this verse. And that wrong environment, it shuts the pages of history, and it shuts the pages of the Scriptures. Notice this environment, the wrong environment, it allows unnecessary weights and sin in your life. Look at verse number 1, the Bible said, Let us lay aside every weight and sin. Let us lay aside every weight and sin cool part about uh, when there was no school as a, as a youngster, I got to stay up a little bit later. Amen? But when school came around, guess what? Now the bedtime was a little bit earlier. And uh, so the wrong environment for learning is staying up late, right? That's why your parents said, your bedtime is whatever it was, 8 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock, what, amen? And that's the, the wrong environment. It just allows unnecessary weights. That's why your parents tried to, uh, probably for the most part they their good parents, tried to make you sure you had something to eat, right, before you went to school. I know the schools now provide all the lunches and all that stuff, but we're not here to discuss politics, amen. I'm talking about the right environment and the wrong environment. The wrong environment allows unnecessary weights and sin in your life. Notice this about the wrong environment in verse 1. I see here that it's easier to maintain than the right environment. You say, how so? Well, it talks about the weight and sin which doth so easily beset us. I got to reading that thing. I said, my mind, look at that thing. That scripture just told me that it's easier to be in the wrong environment than it is the right environment. You know, it's going to take some work for you this year to be in the right environment, to keep the right environment, because that weight that some of you are dealing with right now Uh, It's not necessarily a sin. I'll tell you, this is a pastor though. Usually, uh, individuals with weight, it ends up turning to sin if you don't deal with it. A weight might not be a sin today, but a month from now, if you don't deal with that weight and learn to lay that thing aside and get the right estimation and the right environment in your Christian life, that thing will turn to a sin. And that Bible says it's easier to have the wrong environment than the right environment. Why? It just so easily beset us. I mean, face it. You put uh, you put uh, you put Reese's peanut butter cups in front of a kid, or green beans. <laughs> hey, no doubt in my mind. Unless you're weird, what you gonna eat? Amen. I'd even eat the Reese's. Amen. <clears throat> it's easier to have the wrong environment than the right environment. Now, notice this thing. This wrong environment. It's uh, it's it's easier to have uh, than the right environment. It's easier to watch TV than it is to study the Bible. Uh, It's easier to play on your phone than it is to pray. (laughs) It is, whether you amen or not, it's still true. Notice this about the wrong environment. It refuses to lay anything aside, but what I want. It refuses to lay anything. Listen, Christian, this year in your Christian life, you're going to have to go into this new year to get back to basics, and you're just going to have to lay some stuff aside. You're going to have to lay it aside. It's been tripping you up. It's been troubling you. And you're going to have to deal with that thing with the Holy Spirit and say, yep, that's got to go. It's just got to go. And you're not going to be able to do it on your own. You're going to have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. And you have to learn to lay some aside. But the wrong environment, it, just, it won't lay anything aside. It, the wrong environment says this, I can handle it. The wrong environment says I can handle uh, that phone 24-7 with no guides on where I flip and where I look and where I go and uh, the wrong environment says uh, I have the right to indulge in every type of music that makes me feel good and the wrong environment says uh, there needs to be no set precautionary things on what I see, on what I hear, what I watch and what I do. That's the wrong environment. The wrong environment says, I don't need to lay anything aside. The wrong environment says, it's okay, let's just let it out of the cave and let it run its course. But you've got to lay some things aside this year if you want to get back to basics. Going to have to lay some things aside. Notice this, I not only see a, an environment to maintain, but in verse 1, I see a race to be run. A race to be run. Now, verse 1 says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, I notice this. It takes patience to run the race. (laughs) You know why you get discouraged last year? You really thought you should be farther along in your walk with God than you are. Can I remember, if you're here today and you're saved, you're still a saved sinner. And you know what? When you get a dog, no matter how many times you bathe them, they still get fleas. (laughs) Just like you... You have fleas. Not physically, but spiritual fleas. Why? You're a safe sinner. It takes patience. You're gonna to have to learn to run with patience. But this world is against patience. This world says, one touch by. This world says, do it now. Uh, zero down in 60 months. You know, five, it only costs five bucks, but we'll give you ten years to pay it off. You know? And they say, but get it now. It takes patience. Not only that, it takes persistence to run. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, a great passage of Scripture here. Uh, Solomon says this, The race is not to the swift. The race is not to the swift. I don't care how smart you think you are, how fast you think you are, you're going to have to learn this year not only to be patient, but you have to be persistent in running your race for Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in school, uh, there was always one or two kids that were smarter than everybody else. They were in uh, all the advanced classes. And if you were, I'm not kicking you. Not too hard, anyways. (laughs) So you're just jealous because you didn't take them. Probably. They didn't really have much AP when I, you know. Uh, Anyways, whatever. Uh, I digress here. But you're going to have to be persistent. You're going to have to keep at it. You're just going to have to keep at it. Why? Because Solomon says the race is not to the swift. Look, just because you're smart, just because you have a high IQ, doesn't mean you're spiritual this morning. you got to stay persistent. <laughs> Aren't you glad spirituality this morning is not judged on our IQ? Preacher be in trouble this morning, amen? <laughs> I'm glad it's not based on my IQ. Amen, sis. What the Lord's interested, you see, a bunch of Jews wrote this book, 40 authors over 1,600 years. You know about that Shemite? You know that sh- how that Shemite is different from you, Japheth? That Shemite believes that effort is everything. Japheth believes and I'm number one, and that's all that matters. You know, if, if, if uh, the Detroit Lions had a bunch of Shemites playing on them, like Eastern and Oriental, at the end of the game, they had been oh, so. Good job. And they wouldn't, I mean, they would have been disappointed inside. But did you see most of those guys yesterday? They're about ready to to go nuts. Like, oh, preacher, you're giving away your worldliness. Yeah, I watch a little bit of the game. I don't care. But Shem says, you know, effort's everything. It takes persistence to run the race that Christ laid out for you. It takes patience. It takes persistence. But it also takes precision. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. You say, what are you saying? You're going to have to make sure that you're running the right race. And you're in the right lane. You say, what's the right lane? Your lane. (laughs) Don't you follow people on the highway and they're like, they can't make up their mind whether they're in the slow lane or the fast lane or... You just take it out of the middle and you just kind of want to do a little pit maneuver on them and get them out of the way, but then you'd go to jail, but so you can't. You need to be precise in how you run your... you got to stay in your lane. Stop worrying about all the other idiots on the highway. Run your own race. (laughs) you got to be precise. It takes precision. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize, for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was putting pressure, precise pressure, on the mark for that prize. It wasn't, I'm just going in a general direction. He's like, I'm going after it. I'm going after the mark, and behind that mark is the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It takes patience, it takes persistence, it takes precision. I see not only a race to run, but I see a, a finisher to focus on, a finisher to focus on. In verse 2, the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You say, what's that? You know, I want to pass the class. <laughs> you know, of the greatest fears that my parents instilled in me as a child is not to fail the present grade that you are in. That's a great fear. I wasn't afraid of uh, too much. Uh, you know, a bad report card was one of them, Amen. Uh, and uh, a detention, That I was afraid of that. Yes, but I was really afraid that I would fail the class. And uh, I don't want to fail the class that I'm in. Amen. Amen. You know what I know? If I fail the class this year, I'll have to retake it next year. Right. Yes, sir. You know why some Christians aren't further along in the Christian life? They just keep failing the class. Yes, you know, your your age, your tenure... If I could say it like that, your tenure in Jesus Christ does not determine your spirituality. Too bad it should. I mean, if you've been saved for 89 years, then uh, you should be more spiritual than someone's been saved one year. But, you know, that's not how it works. But I see here a finisher to focus on. Well, we see in verse 2 that Jesus Christ, he he, uh, He is the finish line. You see it? He is the finisher. But not only that, He's the author. He started it, and he finished it. So that's where I need to be looking. He's the author of my faith, and he's the finisher of my faith. He said, well, I need to be concerned about, well, you know, uh, being financially secure. Well, let me tell you what one preacher said. One preacher said, you know, it's right around the corner from financial security. I said, what? He said, poverty. (laughs) True story right there. You could be financially secure one day, one moment, and you'd be poor as a church mouse the next. I'll give you a little inside story. Boys and I had an opportunity to do some work over the last couple years and we were sort of enjoying the work and it was half killing us but we loved it and we got caught up on the wrong side of a business deal and it about killed us financially. Clipping along just like that, doing all right. Bam, overnight, just like that, 30 grand in the hole. What do you do? Well, I thought the Lord wanted me to do it. I had peace doing it. I went into it with a smile, and now I'm thinking, I'm not feeling like smiling too much now. I'm just telling you, listen, if you got your eyes set on financial security and not the Lord Jesus Christ, well, I think you ought to pay your bills and do the best you can to be upright and honest with that. That's not what you need to be looking at. That might be a responsibility you attempt to take care of uh, the best that you can, but you've got to keep your eyes on the finisher. You've got to keep your eyes on the finish line. Uh, these farmers out here in these fields, and I know these newer tractors, they've got GPS. One fellow bought a, a big old uh, a cat bulldozer, and he was so geeked up because that thing had uh, a GPS uh, system in it. And he literally dialed in the cornets that, that was on that, uh, uh, the blueprint, and he sat back and poured a cup of coffee and let that million-dollar bulldozer bl- bulldoze a whole lot. We're not talking about that. Old-time stuff, you had to, you had to line of sight you're going to plant a royal of corn, you had to line a sight and stay on it, and you had to stay fixed on that, and that's you looking at Jesus Christ. Only way you and I are going to get through this Christian life this year is to keep our eyes on the finish line, and who's on the finish line is the one who finished it. It's the finisher. Amen. I see you've got to keep your eyes a, a finisher to focus on. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus Christ. You know what else I'm looking at? I'm keeping my eyes on what He endured along the way. I'm keeping my eyes on the finisher, and I'm keeping my eyes on what he endured along the way. In verse 2, you know what he endured? He endured the cross. You see it? In verse 2, you know what he did? He endured. He despised the shame. That means when it comes to all the shame that the cross provided, he despised the thought of it. When you and I would have been like, I can't believe I'm going through this, and I can't believe they're accusing me, he's like, ah, it's not a big deal. And verse 2 says he did it all with joy. He said, I can't explain it. Neither can I. Because that's because Jesus Christ did it. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he did it all with joy. You say, why? He had his eyes on his Father. He had his eyes on his Father. I'm keeping my eyes on how he finished in verse 2. said, he's a finisher of our faith. John chapter 17, verse 4, the Bible says that Jesus Christ glorified God on the earth. If I'm going to get back to basics this year, I just got to say, you know what? I need to glorify the Father this year. You know what else He did in John 17, 4? He says, He finished the work. He said, I have finished the work that the Father gave me to do. Two things, glorify God and finish what God wants you to do. Now, the Lord doesn't make it difficult. You and I make things difficult. You know how simple salvation is, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Man comes along with his religious system and he messes the whole thing up and gets people tied in knots. And, am, I, am I one of the elect or am I not? Or do I need to be baptized? You see what I mean? And man comes and messes the thing up. You know what the Lord did to finish? He glorified God on the earth and he finished what God told him to do. And that's why in John chapter 19 verse 30 he can hang on that cross and say it is finished. I see a finisher to focus on. You know something else I see about back to basics and thinking about the school year I see an important review. (laughs) Remember review time? Like before tests? Reviews? Most... uh, Most boys just, like, check out. When it's time for review, ah, we already did that, you know. It's an important review. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, the Bible says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You ought to consider what he went through. You ought to consider how he went through it. You ought to consider why he went through it. He says, I know why. I I know, it's review, isn't it? Review is sometimes boring. But reviewing is important in the Christian life. Can I just keep it simple? You and I go get back to basics. We're going to have to learn to review the things that we already know. We can't be like the Athenian Christians, always looking for something new. Well, if it ain't something new, I ain't listening to it. Okay, well, help yourself. Review time is important. Many times it's review time... If you spend ample time reviewing, you'll pick up important things that will be on the test. Amen. Nothing worse than taking a test and you didn't review. I look back; one of my favorite classes was history class. I had Mr. Overholt. He popped six foot five, tall, like kind of like Lurch, no hair, but anyways, uh, I think Lurch had some hair, but anyways, super nice guy, real soft spoken, and he was just—he was very systematic. Now you know why me and him got along. Amen. Very systematic, and I took notes, and I knew this. I figured him out. If I took down his notes that he put on the the projector, I'd pass the test. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. You know what? This year, if I review and keep this important as always reviewing it, I think I'm going to pass the test. I could look back at my Christian life this last year where I failed tests. I didn't take the review as important as I thought it should be. Important reviews. But if you skip the review, think about it. If you don't consider him, you know what happens in verse 3? You get weary. Verse 3, you faint your mind. You see it? You're going to get weary. You don't review what you already know. As a kid, didn't you hate it when your brother or sister tried to tell you something you already knew? I already know that. Right? Shut up, I already know. I'm not stupid. And the Lord's like, okay, well, you're, you're, you know, your story, you tell however you want, you know. <laughs> Amen? But you don't review things like draw an eye to God and he'll draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your, cleanse your hands, right? You don't, the important review, and you, don't, you know what happens if you don't do that? Well, you don't make the grade. That's all it is. The Lord's not asking trick questions. I had a couple teachers, and they'd always throw a question, and I'm like, that was not on the review. <laughs> right? You, know, what, you just made that up. Uh, yeah, we know. <laughs> you know uh, that was not in the test material. You just seen if you're paying attention. Well, it's extra credit. Well, then, then say it's extra credit, right? But if you, don't, if you don't review, if you don't consider him, you, you, you won't finish the course. I want to finish the course this year. And I know I've got about 12 hours to go. And this year's course will be done. And only I and the Holy Spirit and God the Father they will be the ones to tell me if I finish the course this year or if there's some classes I have to retake. Right? You say, what kind of classes? I don't know. Grace. <laughs> Faith. You know how your mom used to you know, teach you to spell or your your kindergarten teacher. All right, cat C A T C A T. You know what the Lord does? All right now, Jeremy. Faith, spell it. F A I T H X Y Z. Uh no, 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 do it again. F-A-I T H yep, that's it. That's it. All right. All right, preacher now. Uh here here you gotta learn this one. What's that, Lord? Give. Give? Okay. T-I-T-A... No, no. I didn't say tithe. I said give. Okay. G-I-V-E. That's how the Lord deals with you and I. It's not difficult. It's back to basics. But you need to consider Him. The cure for heart failure this morning, spiritual failure, soul weariness, even the cure for bodily fatigue, is simply taking time to review and consider Him. If you're weary this morning, never forget in John chapter 4 verse 6, He was wearied on His journey. If you're tempted a lot lately, never forget in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus Christ Himself was tempted for 40 days. Consider Him. If you've been betrayed by friends, never forget in John chapter 13, that Jesus Christ was betrayed by friends. If you've been given a bitter cup by the Father, you ever thought that? Why has this happened to me? This thing that i got to deal with, it's disgusting. Why do i got to deal with it? John chapter 19, verse 29. When Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, you know what they shoved up to Him? Vinegar mixed with hyssop. Put it on a sponge. Oh, what a bitter cup. Consider Him. I reckon just about anything you can go through, you can consider him on. That's an important review. You got to review that stuff. The review is so important, you can't skip the review. I know this, and I know this, and I'm really good at this subject. You might be, but don't miss the review. You got to stop and consider him this year. Consider him. Well, no lost man who seriously considered Jesus Christ for two hours. I don't believe he would ever need an invitation to be saved. He would call himself to the altar, and he'd answer his own call. You see, you can't meditate on passages of Scripture like Isaiah chapter 53. You can't meditate on passages of Scripture like Psalm chapter 22 and John chapter 13 to 21 without being smitten right in the heart. For what? Just reviewing. Just considering him. Don't forget to review this year. I want to give you this one. I see uh, not only an important review, but (laughs) something some of you might be familiar with. I see some dealings with detentions. Dealings with detentions. Verse 5. All of a sudden, the chastening of the Lord pops up. (laughs) I got to thinking, you know what? Detentions weren't just for the bad kids, though. Think for a minute. Uh... If you go to school, you're usually detained and not permitted to leave for at least seven hours. (laughs) But uh, detention was not just for the bad kids. There were study halls. There were some kids who, uh, they had tutoring sessions, and detentions weren't just for the kids shooting spit wads and, you you know, kicking people's books out of other people's hands while they're walking down the halls and stuff like that and putting kick me signs on people's backs, you know. I'm, not that I ever did any of that stuff, you know. But I see in the Bible here, this, this detention. You're going to have to deal with it in your Christian life. You're going to have to deal with it this year. And uh, that detention is when the Lord uh, pulls you aside, and He deals with you. He detains you. And uh, it's chastening is what it is. And uh, Christianity has got this crazy idea that the Lord only chastens you when you're a bad little boy. Well, that's ridiculous. There's four different types of chastening in the Bible. The first one shows up in 2 Corinthians, uh, in no particular order, chapter 12, verse 7. And that first chastening, that thing's a thorn. Remember that thorn that Paul got? Did Paul deserve it? If you think Paul was suffering for his sins, you're out of your mind. You need medication. I'm serious. Paul was not suffering for his sins. Paul was being chastened and he had a thorn. You say, why? To keep him humble. You know, there might be some detentions this year that you get. The Lord's just trying to keep you humble. He loves you. He cares about you. He's like, you need to sit this one out. But I deserve... It. Oh, okay, okay, your day's coming, big fella, right? One day. <laughs> but for now, you've got to sit it out. Why? Wow, I've got to keep you humble. Because you've got an estimation of my word, and you got something. You have no idea what you got. And now I'm going to have to give you that thorn... To keep you, just, just. I don't hate you. I love you. You're my son, but I got to give you this thorn. So you're humble. <laughs> you don't walk on water yet. <laughs> it's for humility. That's the first uh, type of chastisement in the Bible. The second one's the knife. You say, what in the world is the knife? John chapter fifteen, verse two. He's pruning us. You say, why does he chastise us with a knife? So you produce more fruit. Doesn't look like he's. Whooping you for your sins, does he? See, sometimes God puts us in detention. I don't know if you preach politically correct, it would be like time out now. <laughs> in my age, it was going to the woodshed or something like that. But sometimes God puts you in detention to prune you. Because he sees what you're doing. He's like, that's really good. But if I don't cut that thing off that he loves so much, he won't produce fruit for me like he could. See, God's the one that knows your aptitude. Unless you try to make it so difficult this year, like, well, the reason that I'm successful and the reason that I serve the Lord and the reason that I'm a... He's like, whoa, hold on. Enough of all that. I've got to cut that off. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> he's just trying to get you to produce more fruit. Okay, so you're producing fruit. Praise the Lord for it. But, you know, in that passage, John 15, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, it's fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Why? Because he gets out the knife. Well, there's a third type of chastisement in the Bible. It's 15, verse 3, John 15, verse 3. And that thing's the Word of God. You say, well, Why does He chastise you through the Word of God? To keep you clean. You are clean through the Word which I've spoken you. Because just sometimes you're like the peanuts character pig pen. <laughs> Every once in a while you get them flies buzzing around, them fleas coming off you because you're just an old dog. And He chastises you through that book when you read it, you submit yourself to preaching. Isn't this simple stuff this morning? Nothing difficult. Chastisement, it's the thorn. It's the knife. It's the word of God. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, you know what it is? It's the whip. <laughs> you say, why? Well, sometimes it gets that whip out to keep you heavenly minded. Sometimes you get going off in a direction or like, whoo! <sighs> <sighs> Correls you back to Jesus Christ in a heartbeat, doesn't he? <laughs> Amen. You've been corralled by the whip before? Now that's a hard one to preach because you're a generation that don't believe in whipping their kids. But if you believe that book, you'll take that rod to your kid in a heartbeat. And this whole cotton-picking thing about, you know, child abuse, child abuse, child abuse, what it is is inflicted brain abuse on Christians. So now you wonder whether or not you should believe the Bible or not. Yeah, you should. You say, but if you preach that people will beat their kids. If thou beatest him with the, Listen, listen. Don't be stupid all your life. If you beatest him with the rod, he shall not die, but thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now, we're not talking about, you know, beating him to a pulp. You think that? You're an idiot. Amen? (laughs) In the name of Jesus, of course. But the four types of chastisement in the Bible, and you and I this year, we just have to learn to deal with the tensions. The Lord detains us for a period of time so He can deal with us. Now notice about this uh, chastisement, this detention time. Uh, I was always afraid of that slip coming home. And I might have uh, tried to get to the mailbox before my parents got home once or twice so they wouldn't get it. But they always found out. It doesn't matter. Amen. Your Heavenly Father always finds out what you need. You pray. You think you're praying this. And the Lord's like, no, you really need that. But notice with this chastening in verse 5, it's something we, uh, we can't forget about. What I'm saying is it's going to happen this year. And he's going to chasten you, and it's not because he hates you. He's going to chasten you, and it's not always going to be punishment for your sins. You've got to get that idea out of your head. Chastening is not just because you did something wrong. You can't forget about it. Notice this here in verse 5 is something we can't despise either. Yeah, so All your kids are different. Uh, you could correct one. You could... You know, you'd have to send one to their room and they'd straighten up, and one you'd wail the fire out of, and you'd hope to God they got learned their lesson, you know what I mean? And one kid you just talk to and they're like, woo, they break like that. Everyone's different, but God knows. God knows exactly what you need. But it's something we can't despise. And notice this in verse 5 it's something we can't faint when it happens to us. I'm trying to be simple with you this morning. If we go back to basics, the detentions are coming. And when they come, you can't despise it, you can't hate it. I hate this. I, I hate this. Why is this happening to me? And you can't faint. You go, okay, okay, I might as well just give up. No, 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 no. Just deal with it, man. You're going to have to learn to deal with some detentions this year. Now listen, there were kids at school who never got a detention. But that don't mean they were squeaky clean, amen? <laughs> that just means they had learned to figure out how to not get in trouble. And just some people just couldn't keep their mouth shut, so they always got in trouble, amen? (laughs) But you're going to have to learn to deal with them, and you can't faint. But notice these detentions you have to learn to deal with in verse 6. It's a sign of love. It really is a sign of love. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You say, well, here's a funny way of showing it. I know, right? Right? I mean, if you're, if you're a kid and your mom and your dad laying it on you, you never, you never look back from that position and go, man, they really love me. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. But you know what? I remember being in college, waking up one morning and I said, boy, my parents really love me. Well, it's a sign of love. It's not only that, in verse 7 and 8, it's a sign of sonship. we said this, and you heard this illustration before. Your parents, uh, they didn't go beat the neighbor's kid. They might have done that back in the 50s. I guess everyone's beating everyone's kids in the 50s and 40s and all that. Uh, something about uh, Yankees. They're really hard on their kids. And Yankees will uh, whip their kids more than they should, but Southerners will be too loving on them. Something about the characteristics of the North and the South there. Uh, but uh, here the thing is, it's a sign of sonship. Notice in verse 8. If you don't get a detention every once in a while, if you'll give me the liberty, you know what the Bible says? You're a bastard. It means you're not a son. That's just plain spoken English from a King James Bible. So when he gives you the detention, when he chastens you, it's because he loves you, and it's just proof of sonship. <laughs> Well, notice this here in verse 10, that our detentions are His divine appointments. He says in verse 10, that we might be partakers of His holiness. His holiness. And our detentions, although they're a drag, right? Verse 10, it's not joyous. (laughs) Detentions are a drag, no matter how you look at it. They produce something desirous. Verse 11 says, afterward, that's a great word, you need to hang on to this year. Afterward. Afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Notice it said afterward, not before. Afterward, not during. <laughs> Although the one preacher said this, uh, when, you, when you feel you're on the end of the whip, just get closer to the Father, it won't hurt as bad. <laughs> right? But that Bible says afterward. You know, when Job got things restored and all the peace came back, was after the Lord was done with him? Was it for Job's sins? Is all your chastening for your sins? Let me tell you what, the Lord don't deal with you after your sins the way that you think He should. Just like your parents didn't deal with you. Every time you got out of line, man, I tell you what—if every time I got out of line, my old man would have took the belt to me, I'd been in the grave. He probably got me about one eighth of the time. <laughs> Amen. You bunch of liars. That's a truth. Amen. Amen. God don't deal with you like that. Well, finally, I want you to see here. I want you to. I want to kind of close today with some heavenly homework. <laughs> heavenly homework here in verse twelve. It says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. That's a weird verse of Scripture. You ever see that one? You ever just given any thought to that verse? Wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down. What are they hanging down for? Well, in the Bible, hands that hang down are a picture of a man who refuses to pray. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. He said, I knew that's charismatic. No, it ain't charismatic. You ever pray with your hands up in the air? I bet you if you did, you wouldn't fall asleep as much as you do. <laughs> Amen. I remember the first time I saw that verse, I said, Well, that's it. I need to start lifting up my hands when I pray. So I remember, lift up both hands. Got done praying. Man, my arms hurt. <laughs> you say, What'd that prove? I just never lifted up my hands before. That's all that proved. I didn't fall asleep. You say, Why is it why you got to lift up your hands? I don't know. This means uh, I'll do it, but how about all to Jesus? I surrender. Amen. Amen. One hand might be a hey, how you doing, Lord? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. If you need someone. I mean, I don't really want to, but I'll do it. And it's like, I'm all yours. So that might be a picture of a Christian who uh, he won't do his homework. Well, what's his homework? He just refuses to pray. You see that? Uh, You know where uh, I substitute teach, and like I said before, you know the the ropes on that. I don't think I do a whole lot of teaching. I just kind of watch things happen (laughs) and take place. But, you know, if the kids just do their homework, they'll pass. And yeah, there's tests, but if you do your homework, you usually pass. And uh, the kids that are really messing up right now in school, they don't do any homework. And you know, Christian... Here's some heavenly homework that should be done daily. Lift up the hands that hang down. You see it right there. So instead of quitting, just go ahead and do your homework. I used to hate homework. I mean, in my day, they used to sort of laying homework on you left and right, man. But uh, I found out if I did my homework, I was much better prepared for the next day. And if I'm going to get back to basics, I'm just going to have to learn to go ahead and do my homework. And then it says here in verse 12, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. you got some hands hanging down, you got some feeble knees. You say, well, what's wrong, preacher? You need, a, need another knee surgery or something? Well, that might be one of these days. But the feeble knees can picture a Christian that maybe just quit walking with him. Just quit walking with him. You know, uh, as an as a ice cream delivery man, I see people, uh, <laughs> as everybody's hero with a gallon of ice cream in my hand, amen. Would you like some more? Would you like two of those? Would you like four or five today, amen? You know, up you gain 50 pounds in two weeks and all that stuff. And, and I'd see uh, older people and become friends with them. And next thing you know, they're not, they're not moving too much, they become very sedentary. And next thing you know, she comes to the door. Well. Fred came back from the doctor. He's got diabetes now. I wonder why. Three gallons of butter pecan a week. You know, I'm not sure. But, so what does that mean? Well, he can't have ice cream like he used to. Okay. And well, you know, he's, he can't have salt anymore either. You say, what are you saying? I just watch people that would become inactive in their life and would always go downhill. You say, why? They quit being active. They quit moving. They quit walking. I am um, feeble knees, maybe just a picture of someone just staved. They loved the Lord. They just quit walking with him. I mean, the quickest way, uh, I mean, after they replaced that right knee, man, they had me out of the bed in a couple of hours. That's the last place I wanted to be was out of the bed, but amen. <laughs> but they had me up and about. Ever stop and think about how much you use it? The best way to heal a leg after some rest is to use it. There's no way that an athlete recovers from an injury completely without using that injured member. The best way to stay healthy is to move. And if the nervous system between the legs and the backbone hasn't been destroyed, uh, maybe in the case of some people that are in wheelchairs, if the legs haven't been amputated or frozen rigid due to arthritis, the cure is walking. You gotta walk, you gotta move. If it even takes a cane or a crutch to accomplish this, any walking is better than sitting. Can I show you what I think is really interesting here? 2 Kings chapter 7. I'll show you this. 2 Kings chapter 7. Can I tell you that sitting is going to kill you, Christian, this year? I'm talking spiritually. If you just sit on your blessed assurance and you sit and you don't walk, it's going to kill you. Look at 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 3. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, right here from the King James Bible. And there are four leprous men at the entering in the gate. That's a picture of a sinner, right? You and I are saved sinners. And they said one to another, Why sit here until we die? That's going to be some Christians this year. I just make it way too complicated. Well, I can't serve in the army. I can't be a soldier, I can't be a preacher, I can't be the king. You're going to sit here until you die? you got to take care of them feeble needs and just start walking with God. Just start doing your homework. You Say, what's the homework? Praying. Just walking with God, walking with His Word every single day. Routine duty. Just keep going. Just keep going. So instead of fainting and giving up, you take heart and courage and get up, get back on track. Start walking with God again. That's our homework. Just every day, Enoch walked with God. Nothing fancy, nothing dynamic, no great w- nothing about how he walked, just the fact that he did walk. And then the more that he walked with God, he was not. <laughs> and the more you walk with God, the less they'll see of you and the more they'll see about Jesus Christ. Well, that's the message this morning. So this year, it's back to the basics. One plus one equals two. A, and then B, and then C. you got to show up to class to get the material, amen? you got to maintain the right environment. you got to get running your race. Stay focused on the finisher. Don't skip the review. And when you struggle to make the grade, you learn to deal with those detentions by the Spirit of God, and you just keep handing in your homework every single day. And you know what? Let's start this year right at the head of the class with the best teacher in the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, right where we need to be, back to basics. I'll have uh, someone come to the piano this morning and give us a song of invitation. Altars, altars open this morning if you want to come pray. Ask the Lord to help you in this coming year. Even today, just finish out this year's class and get back to basics.